And Lord, that is our prayer, that you would build your church in this place and uh, you would knit us together as uh, followers of Christ. Uh, Would you speak to us this morning from what you have to say in your word? And may we not just hear it, but may we listen and may we act and do what you've called us to. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you, uh, worship team. I don't often say that, but I really appreciate each and every week how we, uh, we get to worship together and we're led so, so well by the teams that uh, serve here. So thank you for what you guys do and the time you spend preparing and practicing and, and all of that. So thank you for that. And speaking of music, I was thinking this week a little bit about songs and uh, talking to Jesse about the songs for this morning and, and whatnot. And, and I got thinking about songs even as I was growing up. Did, do anyone remember like songs you learned as a, as a child? Do they still come back every now and then? Right? Yeah. Uh, I was thinking some of those songs are silly, right? You got like the itsy bitsy spider. You guys know the actions for that, right? No? Is that just me? Yeah, we got, okay, got actions, good. You know, uh, or, or even nursery rhymes like, you know, Jack be nimble, Jack be quick. But then there's other songs and little rhymes that, that have actual morals or meaning for us as we grow up. Uh, for instance, you know, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And then, oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. You can, you can speak in church. It's okay. <laughs> Actually, it's, it's encouraged, to be honest. And I was thinking about this, and it, it does relate to the passage. I'm not just off on some tangent. But think about that, and I got a little deep in thinking, like realizing that you actually can't ever close your ears, right? You can close your eyes is to stop seeing, right? You can close your mouth to stop speaking, but you can't actually close your ears. Unless you, you know, put earplugs in, but let's not go there. And sometimes what we hear isn't an issue, right? We like to hear good things, we like to hear things that, that sound good to us, But there's times where we hear things we shouldn't hear. There's also times we hear things we don't want to hear. And maybe it's not a bad thing we're hearing, but we just don't want to hear that. What we're going to look today in in Luke, we're going to see here where Jesus teaches a parable to the crowd that's with him. But he finishes with this phrase. He says, take care then how you hear. Take care then how you hear. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. I think human nature is we don't like to hear bad news. We don't want to hear someone point something out in us. Maybe it's a friend who's kind of pointing out a sin they see in your life. Or maybe it's simply just the number on the scale in the morning you don't like. We don't like to take these things in. But see, it's common for us to react first and then consider later. We react with our inner, with our emotional self before we think things through. Now, if that's true for us and what we hear out and around us, what we see, how much more for what we read in God's Word? I mean, if you're honest with yourself, there's really a lot in the Bible, obviously, that speaks to the sin in our life. So how does your heart hear and respond to a rebuke from God's word? 
Do you first react with defiance or, ignore, uh, with, or ignoring? Or do you immediately submit to its teaching? See, it's one thing to know what the Bible says. It's another thing entirely to do what it says. We need to let the Bible be a mirror for us, showing us who we truly are and how we need to make serious changes. Hearing the Word of God is not enough. The bigger issue is how we respond in what we do. See, choosing Jesus means both hearing and acting on what God's Word says. We need to do both. And that's what Jesus touches on in our passage for today. If you have your Bible, we're in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, we're looking at the parable of the sower. Even as Dave prayed, he, he mentioned that our hearts would be fertile, would be good soil and listen to what God's word has to say, and that comes straight out of this passage. So here we have Jesus. He's, he's again with his disciples. He's, he's gathering with them. Verse 4 of chapter 8 starts this way. It says, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable... So again, Jesus has these crowds coming to him. So there's, there's the crowd of people. We talked about last week, you've got his like 12 disciples, right? We've got the, the greater crowd of disciples and then this multitude of people who are just sort of curious. They're there. Which interesting, in this, at this, this time, it's mentioned actually before verse 4, who's in this crowd. And, and it, Luke highlights for us that there's a crowd of people. There's the 12 with him. And specifically, he says, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Luke points out specifically that there are a number of women who are here with Jesus, with his disciples, who are part of the disciples, uh, following him and listening to him and trying to, to, to be a good disciple. I think it's important to recognize the fact that he's highlighting the women is important because, I mean, in, in the day, the first century, women weren't really thought of that highly. And, and I don't think that's right, but Luke saying, hey, these women are here, and they're playing a role in the ministry of Jesus. And so Jesus is here with this crowd. They're coming. They're, they've got this interest in them. And for a lot of them, I think it's probably a surface-level interest, right? There's something about Jesus where he's a bit of an inspiring teacher. And so they keep coming and following. And he begins and teaches them this way. This is what he, he teaches them in verse uh, 5. He says, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, he who has ears, let him hear. Jesus does a lot of his teaching in parables. In fact, one-third of his teaching in the New Testament is in parables. And as we look at a parable, right, it's a short story that kind of has a moral or a point to it, which is a little bit different than an allegory. Like in an allegory, right, every little thing has a deeper meaning. And not so much with parables. We don't try and figure out every little thing with a parable. But Jesus uses these parables that are familiar to his hearers. And usually his parables have a bit of a tension built into them. A moral story that ends up usually with some kind of judgment on the hearers. But these little stories Jesus use, uses really resonate with the hearers. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I kind of believe that humans were made for story. Like we all love a good story. Who doesn't like a good story, really? 
we like a good story. And Jesus uses these stories as illustrations of life. Now, what we read as his parable, I'll, I'll be honest with you, doesn't really make for a good story, right? There's that classic story narrative arc that starts, you know, with, with things in a good place, and then something happens, and then all of a sudden there's, a, there's an issue, there's a tension that's introduced, and that tension seems to grow for a while, and then the hero comes and saves the day, and the tension's released, and everything goes back to good again. You know, if you think about that, that's every movie you've ever watched. Sorry if I ruined that for you. Every TV show, every detective show goes that way. That is the story. We love it, though. We love these stories. And Jesus knows this, and this is why he's using parables and stories to teach the people then and to teach us now. In this case, this parable is very familiar to the people because these, these are some people living in an agrarian culture, in an agrarian uh, era. You know, they understood this idea of sowing seed. I am not a gardener. The only seed I sow is like a big bag of grass seed every spring is what I try to do. But these people would have understood this idea of sowing your seed to, to plant for, for a harvest. And they, they couldn't have gone to a corner store just to grab like a bag of weed or you know, a bag of chips. And if, if you wanted to live, you had to work the ground. So Jesus understands his audience. He knows who he's talking to and he uses stories that they relate to. It's interesting, as we read this parable, it almost seems like as Jesus comes to the end of this story, he's raised to move on to whatever's next. A little aside, though, it, it doesn't tell us what kind of seed it is, but, but I want to suggest it's corn. Can I do that? Do you hear what he said? He who has ears to hear. You're welcome. Okay, we'll move on. So was, here, here's Jesus, he tells this story, this parable, and he wants to, he's basically going to move on, but the disciples stop him. And in verse 9, he says, and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, the disciples stop and say, hold on, we don't get it. We don't understand the story. Like, we get the idea of, the, you know, of sowing seed and, and all the things that happen to the seed, but we don't understand what this parable means. So they wanted some deeper meaning. Jesus says, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Jesus is quoting here from Isaiah 6. And he's quoting what, what instruction Isaiah was given by God. God had a, a message for Isaiah to give to the people, but basically he's saying, God says to, to Isaiah, uh, by the way, I want you to deliver this message, but I also want you to make sure they don't understand it. I don't want them to see it and understand. I don't want them to hear it and understand. I want them to not understand. In a sense, God wanted and needed to bring judgment on his people. And Jesus is quoting that to these, this group, this group of, of Jews who are listening to him who would have understood where that was coming from. And in one sense, here's the preacher's dilemma. It's, uh, from one of the commentaries I read this week, he says... J. Alec Motyer says this, This is the preacher's dilemma. Those who resist the truth can be changed only by telling them the truth. But to do this exposes them to the danger of rejecting the truth once again. And maybe this further rejection will push them beyond the point of no return. And they will become irretrievably hardened in mind and heart. In other words, we see people going and they're happy living their lives. 
We see them come to church even, and, and they're, they're interested and happy to be part of the church. But they really need a deeper faith, and that deeper faith comes by hearing the Word of God. But sometimes hearing the Word of God is difficult, and we don't want to hear. We don't want to respond to it. And but when they hear that truth, they walk away and go farther away from Christ. This is the dilemma. So it sounds like Jesus is intentionally obscuring the meaning to his parable. I mean, often parables do a good job of revealing, right, and helping us understand. In this case, he's trying to conceal it. But he says to the disciples, to those who are belong to Christ, they understand. And Jesus goes on to explain to them what this parable means. So for the genuine seeker, when you dig deep into these, you understand deeper. You understand the deeper meaning behind these parables. I mean, if you're just looking for a nice story, well, there you have it. You've got your story. But if you want the actual, the actual meaning to it, you've got to dig. You've got to work at it. You've got to figure things out. And Jesus was never afraid to, to, uh, to um, I can't think of the word, expel the crowd, to get the crowd to leave. He wasn't afraid of that. In fact, he, what he didn't want was people following him just because he was a good speaker. He always wanted people to follow him because they had counted the cost, because they knew what it was going to mean to follow him. He doesn't want nominal followers. He doesn't want people who are Christians in name only. And so these parables are, are judgment for some. They're, they're judgment for those who are casual and, and careless. I mean, the fact that you're here this morning, and maybe the fact that you come back week after week, I hope that you're not in what we're going to find the first category is. But I want to think the disciples are some of this fruit that they wanted to be good disciples, and, and they want to be in, in the good soil. That's why they're asking the question. So Jesus goes on. He, he begins to explain to them the meaning of the parable. He says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Now, the seed is not the center of the text, of the parable. It's not the, it's not the point. But we do find out God, Jesus says the seed is the word of God. It's not the center of the, of the parable, neither is the sower. But that doesn't mean the seed's not important. In fact, the seed is very important. As Jesus says, this is the word of God. And this act of spreading the seed is the act of proclaiming the kingdom of God. And so at the time of Jesus teaching this, uh, they would have had uh, the Torah, right? The law, the, the Nephilim, the, the prophets, the, the Keduvim, the, the writings, what we would call the Hebrew Bible today, or what we also call it the Old Testament. We were with friends the other night with a game night, and the one older daughter came down and said to the father, you're so old, it used to be, when you were a kid, it was just called the, the Testament. She was kidding. She wasn't being... She was just kidding. We called the Old Testament. To him, it was just the Testament. But for us, the Word of God is Jesus himself, what he says to us in the New Testament, and what, he, what, what the apostles have written in the New Testament. This is the Word of God for us today, for us to understand when we think about this parable. Interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't mention who the sower is. Now, the easy Sunday school answer is that this is obviously Jesus, or God, spreading the gospel of the kingdom of God. There's, there are actually other schools of thought, though, when it comes to the, who the sower is. And, and some people actually would, would, would argue that 
the sower could actually be you and me, right? When we, when we are following Christ, when we are sharing God's word, spreading the gospel, this is us sowing seed. And notice how freely the sower sows the seed. And he's not very careful, like, I'm going to put one every inch down the row. He's out there throwing it everywhere, hoping it's going to grow somewhere. And this is like me in the spring, like I said, it, when, when, I, when the, the, the snow melts and all of a sudden I see all this bare grass, I go to home hardware and I buy a big bag of grass seed and go and spread it and hope that something takes. It's kind of what the sower's doing. He's just throwing it everywhere. But see, that's not the focus. The focus isn't the seed. The focus isn't the sower. It's on the soil. The soil is the point of this. And Jesus describes that each of these soils describes the state of our hearts. You could say Jesus unearths the meaning for us. In verse 12, he begins to describe these four seeds. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. From an ancient perspective, from a first century perspective, that field would have had many subdivisions in it, each person kind of having their portion of the field. It was a shared field, and, and then all the way around would have been a narrow path which everyone would walk on to get to their portion of the field. And you know what happens as you walk on a, on a path like that, it gets hard, gets trampled down. I mean, maybe you've been for a hike in a forest where there's no prepared path, but there's an obvious path. It's where people have gone in the past, and it, it breaks down what's there and, and hardens the ground so things can't grow on it. Jesus explains this is the soil for people where it, it lands and the devil takes it away. The birds of the air take away the seed so it can never germinate. It can never grow. And when it comes to the word of God, these are people who can never understand. They can't hear. If they can't hear, they can't understand, and they also can't respond. We'd call this a hard soil. And a hard soil equals a hard heart. It's a hearer who can't hear. Or really, it's a hearer who won't hear. These are folks who have no time for the Bible, no time for Christianity. Anytime they hear what the Word of God says, they ignore it or scoff at it. How does this happen? How do people get to this point? How are their eyes are blinded by cultural leanings? I mean, they have a mindset that goes along with the culture we live in. I mean, it could be suggested to me, this is what the Apostle Paul was like before he had his encounter with Christ. He was so anti-Christ that he was on a mission to arrest and kill people of the way. I really hope that's not you here this morning, that you have a hard heart, a hard soil. And I'm assuming that the fact that you're here tells me that you're not. But he goes on to the next, the next seed, the next soil. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. Again, this is a stony soil. It means it's got shallow soil. There's solid rock underneath it. Jesus says, when the seed falls here, 
it begins to grow. It has enough soil to get started, but it can never really take. It can't really get strong. It can't get deep enough to really grow. And so as soon as any kind of difficulty comes, scorching sun, heavy rain, the plant withers and dies. We would call this shallow seed a, a shallow heart. Jesus alludes to these who, who, who hear the word of God. They hear it and they accept it with, with joy. They're happy to hear it. But as soon as trouble comes into their life, they find no use for it. I mean, it was often common for Jesus' followers to be persecuted for their belief. How many people began to follow Jesus excitedly when the tough times came, the persecution came? And they start to fall away and walk away. They couldn't handle the persecution. I wonder how many of these hearts were there at the, on the Sunday, the Sunday of the, of the triumphal entry. Right? Remember, Jesus is coming into Jerusalem the week before he's crucified. He's on a donkey and the people come. They're waving palm branches, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then on Friday... Another crowd gathers, shouting, crucify him, crucify him. I wonder how many people were in both groups. On Sunday, when it looked like he was coming to conquer and to take over and to, to, to save them from their oppression, and then Friday they realize he's not that guy. And they walk away. This is the heart of someone who hears the gospel. Hears the gospel and accepts it, recognizes their need for a savior, and while life's going good, they continue to follow. They show up on Sunday. They go to community group and they serve. But the first sign of trouble, they begin to walk away. And maybe it's not intentional. I'm reminded of, of a, a mother-daughter who came to our church and quickly recognized their need for Jesus. Got saved and wanted to get baptized. And they got baptized, we celebrated with them, and as they began to learn about what the Bible says, they recognized that it didn't line up with what culture says. And so they walked away, and we never saw them again. Or maybe you grew up in church and you went to those high school retreats in the, in the weekends, right? Always a lot of fun, good music, good food, good speakers. But you know that Saturday night is going to be a talk where the speaker shares the gospel. He's going to go after the hearts of the youth in that room. And you can see how the excitement of those, those teens full of hormones becomes a sea of quiet spiritual reflection. For some teens, the message is heard. It's taken in, and they recognize their need for a Savior. And, and then they're, you know, Sunday, they're on that mountaintop, but then Monday comes. And they can't handle being with their friends. And next thing you know, they're back to life as it was last Friday. The seed didn't hold when the testing came. I can imagine that many of us, me included, can relate to this in my own life. I see it in my own life. And hopefully for us it was just a season and that we've persevered through it. We now stand firmly on God's word. Sadly, there's many I know who never stuck with it, who, who they came and got saved and baptized and for a time were on fire and then walked away. Life got too hard. Their faith fizzled and it's never been relit. 
and as for what fell among the thorns. They are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. The difference here is that these seeds had a chance to, to get into the soil, to germinate, to grow. The roots were going to go nice and strong and, and, and deep, except along with them is some thorns. And the thorns are growing up with them. Eventually, the plant gets choked out. It doesn't produce its fruit. This soil is a crowded or a distracted heart. You think about Jesus is going to meet eventually what we call the rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus wanting to know, how do I gain eternal life? And Jesus says, just follow the law. Jesus knew what was happening. He said, just follow the law. And, and the rich young ruler says to him, well, I, I've done that. I've kept the law since my childhood. Well, I think he's just lied, first of all. None of us can keep the law perfectly, can we? So Jesus said, well, if, you can't, if you've done that, then great. Now go sell all you have and give it away. And then come follow me. Well, we know what happened. That rich young ruler says he went away sad he had lots he couldn't do it he he wanted he wanted life in the kingdom he wanted eternal life but he couldn't do what he needed to do the thorny soil is a distracted heart this is someone who hears the word of god accepts it even lives it out but then slowly almost unnoticeably is choked off life begins to get in the way. Even good things get in the way of faith. Now, I know some people who grew up in the church and still call the church their, their church, but their attitude is, well, I'll go on Sunday if I'm free. If there's nothing else happening, I'll go. And I wonder, is that, is that really good? You know, I'm glad you, you feel a part of the church, but you'll go when you feel you have time? Anything that takes over priority over li living out our life for Christ begins to push Christ off our, the throne of our life. We can't let anything take that place. And it's easy for us in our, in our 21st century to be distracted by good things and not good things, but it doesn't take long for the pursuit of anything to take over your life. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's an anxiety. We worry about the way society is going. We worry about our future or our health or our kids' future or our kids' health or our parents or the kids' activities. The list goes on and on. There's so many things that can help us take our eyes off of Christ. When in reality, each of those things should be driving us more and more to Christ, to the Word of God. Remember this. No one wakes up on a Sunday morning and says, today's the last day I go to church. No one ever thinks that, but it happens. At some point, that Sunday was their last day. I remember during, during the pandemic, you know, when everyone had to rush to online services, we, we were sort of tracking how things were going, how our congregation was, was uh, joining in. And in the beginning, it was going really well. And we looked back probably six months into the pandemic and we recognized that 
five of the six most watched services were from the first, sorry, five of the top viewed services were from the first six weeks of the pandemic. And from there, it sort of started to taper off, like slowly taper off. And we realized what was happening was, you know, when, when the pandemic hit and churches closed, we, everyone was in a habit of going to church at 10 o'clock or whatever time it is on a Sunday morning. We would go, we had that time, it was a habit, we did that. And so when the pandemic hit, we started at 10 o'clock is what time I'm going to watch the service. And then slowly people realized, well, actually, it's going to be on Facebook or on YouTube later. I can go and check it out later on Sunday when, when you know, I can sleep in then and go then. Or I, I, I didn't get around to it today. I'll, I'll watch it sometime during the week. And then that sometime during the week turned into not watching it ever. Next thing you know, Sundays are me time. When, when that habit got broken, the distractions began to subtly crowd out the place the Word of God held in their lives. It's not a conscious decision to stop meeting with God's people. We don't wake up and say, today's my last day. There's one more type of soil, one more type of heart that Jesus taught about. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is the soil where the, soil really, where the sower really wanted the, so, the seed to go. There's no rocks. There's no thorns. It's just good soil, the right amount of water, the right amount of sun. Jesus says that you know, it returns a hundred times what was sown. He's saying that a heart that hears the word of God, accepts it, prioritizes it, will no doubt show its intended fruit. This seed is deeply rooted, fertilized, and cared for. Think about the 12 disciples. The the, the 12 disciples who Jesus trained for those three or so years of ministry. And when he returned to heaven, he unleashed them on the world. And we are the, are, are the results of what the work they did. But each one of those disciples had to make decisions each and every day. Am I going to continue to follow Jesus and follow what he said? Or am I going to go back to what's easy in the culture? And the reality is they lived difficult lives. They were persecuted for their faith, for teaching about this Jesus of Nazareth. They were all persecuted, and, and the vast majority of them were actually martyred for their faith. They were willing to die for the word of God. That is some good soil. This is a fruitful heart. This is a heart that when the culture and the Bible disagree, when the troubles of life come along, and believe me, they will come along, the fruitful heart doesn't dismiss the word of God. It searches it. It runs to it. It looks for comfort. It looks for help. When life gets busy and distracted, the fruitful heart finds the time, makes the time to be in God's word. The Bible speaks a lot about hearing. Jesus is talking about hearing, hearing the word of God. 
I mean, you think back into the, into the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, the Shema starts with, Hear, O Israel. Listen, Israel. Listen closely. We're instructed to listen. So does that mean what we should do is spend all of our time listening to sermons, listening to Christian podcasts, reading the Bible, taking in everything we can from the Bible? Well, yeah, we, we do need to do that, but be careful. Because as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, knowledge puffs up. You know, if all you're doing is taking in and taking in and taking in, you're becoming a fat Christian. See, we have to not just hear and listen. We have to understand. We have to go and do. He goes on and says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. As Jesus is explaining this, he goes on even farther and says, Hearing's important. It's the first step to understanding. It's the first step to knowledge. But we can't just hear and listen. We have to act. We have to do. And he uses another parable to describe the first one. He says, No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed or puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. I mean, do you remember that Sunday school song? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Jesus says, like, no one, no one lights that lamp and then hides it so no one can see it. He's getting the fact that a good heart is taking in the word of God, yes, but then it's actually sharing it. It's acting on what, it's, what you've heard. He's saying that the the good soil doesn't just hear the word of God. The good soil spreads the word of God. It's an important part of us as disciples to become disciple makers. And one way that we do that is by sharing God's word with others. I remember um, back in my first, early as a marriage when I was working at, at GM, uh, as a software developer. We, we sat in a quad. There's four of us in a quad for our backs to each other. And, and in that quad, there was another gentleman, uh, really, really brilliant programmer. Um, but he had come there with a science degree. It's kind of what he went to school for. But I wasn't being paid, I wasn't being paid to share the gospel with my colleagues. And so I wanted to be careful of what I did, but I also was open to and aware of questions or conversations that would come up. And, and I would never shied away from that when I didn't start it. But this, this guy, um, he had this loose grasp of what the Bible said about creation. He began asking questions about that because he, obviously, has, with a, his science degree, believed in evolution and, you know, it's obvious, it's, it's a fact, people would say. As I started to describe to him what creation was and how it how God had done this, how God had made everything. He began to listen. I don't know where that conversation went for him. I ended up getting moved to another office shortly after that. And I haven't seen him in, you know, 25 years. But I wonder how that conversation impacted him. I'll never know. But see, a fruitful heart is one that has heard the word of God has accepted it, is living it, has prioritized it in their own life. But also sharing with those around them. 
See, the seed is useless if it's left in the bag. The lamp is useless if it's covered. And the Word of God is squandered if it's not shared. And I know sharing God's Word sounds difficult if you've never done it. Can I ask you a question? If you find it difficult or you're afraid of sharing God's Word, do you have a strategy? Have you ever stopped to consider what you would do if someone asked you why you have faith? That's probably your biggest hurdle, is not knowing what you're going to say. And there's all kinds of great ways and great different tools you can use to share God's Word, to share the Gospel. But I think each one of us needs to have a strategy in our back pocket that we know we'll go to. We'll be open to and listening to when that, that question comes. We'll know, oh, thanks for asking, because I want to share this with you. Jesus finishes this message with a warning, and we come full circle to where we started with. This is where he says, take care then how you hear. Take care then how you hear. Each one of us is represented in this par parable. As you hear God's word this morning speaking to you, do you know which soil you are? Do you know where you are in this parable? I think he's implying that we have some level of a control on, on how we accept God's word, how we accept his instructions to us. Maybe you, you can see it already in yourself. Maybe if you think you might be the shallow heart, you might stop and think, I've got a shallow heart like the rocky ground so just like the gardener who goes through her flower beds, goes through her garden, she removes the stones, removes the rocks. She adds soil to increase the depth. You can do the same by being intentional with taking in God's word. And not just taking it in, but digging deep into it, learning from it, deciding to understand it better and deciding to go and find a way to share it. Or maybe yours is the distracted heart. Maybe there's some thorns that are crowding around you. Some, some things are happening around you that are crowding out your walk with God. Again, the gardener pulls out those thorns. The gardener pulls out the weeds that are going to choke the fruitful plant. It's time to do the same thing with your life, to remove the distractions that keep you from what you know you need to do. Then there's the hard heart. Thinking about the hard heart had led me to a question about soil itself. Is it possible to make bad soil good, right? Take, to take the hard soil and make it actually fruitful, fertile soil. So I, I contacted a farmer friend and, and asked him that question. Can you make bad soil good? He loves talking about farming and whatnot. And so he said, how, like, how technical do you want to get? Uh, not too technical, please. But he knows soil. And he was able to bring it down to my level so I could understand it. But basically he said, yeah, you can. You can make bad soil good. And my first thought was, okay, so what kind of chemicals do you have to buy? What kind of like man-made mixture do you have to buy to do this? It turns out you don't. Like, God created this earth, and it shouldn't surprise me, but God created this earth, the world, that the process is make bad soil good, like mixing in organic material. And the bacteria starts to, to eat and leave their waste, and over time it, it softens up and loosens the hard soil. 
he ruined, ruined this for me, but said it's almost like a nice, moist chocolate cake. I don't want chocolate cake anymore. But it gives it pockets where air can get in, where moisture can get in, and begin to feed the plants. Like I said, it shouldn't surprise me, but it reminds me. And if God had a plan and created a process where bad soil can be made good, he's got a process for a hard heart to be made good. And that process is working with the Holy Spirit. See, through the work of the Spirit, our hearts can be made soft, be made f- f- fertile, and, and be brought to salvation, what we call justification. But see, that work doesn't end there. Even when that hard heart, the Spirit brings that hard heart to Christ, the work continues. And all of those soils, all of those hearts continue to work to become more and more like Christ. In the partnership with the Holy Spirit, which we call sanctification. And one way to remember that is I am being saved from the power of sin. I'm being saved from the power of sin. And this is that ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit working in you and with you as he does his part and you do your part to become more and more like the person God wants you to be. So we can't just sit back and wait for the Spirit to do all the work. We have to do our part as well. I really hope that your heart isn't the hard heart. It's a difficult one to come back from. If you have friends or family who have hard hearts, pray for their heart. Pray the Spirit would soften their heart. They might hear the Word of God and respond to it. And for all of us, we need to open the ears of our heart that we might hear God's Word, accept it, and live for Christ doing what He's called us to do. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we are, again, grateful for your word that you've given to us. Grateful for the way you, through your Son, use stories and parables to speak to our lives. God, as we sing these songs, would you work in each of us to reveal to us which soil our heart is? What do we need to do to be less distracted? What do we need to do to to be able to hear and listen and obey? Who do we need to pray for, Lord, that you might soften their hard heart? That the Spirit would come and, and touch them and reveal to them what it is you're saying to them we can continue on this journey together as disciples of Christ who go and make disciples, who gladly share the word of God and the gospel of Jesus. And so we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.